in the course of all that, he has to fight the bureaucracy and the political regime of, uh, of the inner city workings and the justice system, which was quite difficult and quite slow moving and ponderous like it is, like it is in real life. And uh, the one continuing factor of all those films is that he is always, he is always fighting to uh, speed up and streamline things, even though sometimes uh, society doesn't agree with him totally. Um, society might, but certainly the, the bureaucrats don't. Mm. Uh, Mr. Eastwood, I think from a European perspective, sometimes looking back, your films seem quite perplexing, because on the one hand, you have a certain, if you like, frontier justice approach that comes through in many of the films. And in others, there seems a very liberal, very, very ironic, to our eyes, very laid-back approach to life. And I just wondered how you aligned yourself politically, if at all. <laughs> I, I don't, I never felt about, uh, about myself that I really aligned myself politically. I don't, uh, in fact, I guess that's one thing I've always kind of fought against is, is, is being aligned. Uh, uh, I, I think I have different feelings, uh, liberal approaches to certain things and maybe conservative approaches to other things. And I think that, that, that people that are aligned aren't really much fun. Uh, I think that, I, I guess I revere the individual. I guess that's why I've been attracted to, you know, to playing individualistic kind of characters on the screen. But um, I, I don't, uh, I think people who are really dogmatic in, in, in political philosophy, uh, sometimes they're very boring. It's like talking, you can't, you can't have flexible conversations with, and, uh, and that, um, and I would hate to be aligned like that. I would rather uh, be aligned on certain sub, or, or have strong feelings on certain subject, and then, uh, and then approach them individually. And then if you change your mind as you, as you grow and mature in life, then that's, that's fine too. But, uh, I, I, I know because certain things you, you feel at one point in life, you don't feel at another. And that's just sort of one of the facts. Ma'am? Now, in a minute or so, you may find yourself asking, why is this week's Hard Left intro set to the opening song from The Big Lebowski? Clint Eastwood is not in The Big Lebowski. He did not direct it. In fact, he has no kind of association with that film whatsoever. Well, actually, it's because it's a selection from a record that you all owe it to yourselves to check out. It's an album that came out in 1962. We referenced it in the previous episode, and it's called Rawhide's Clint Eastwood Sings Cowboy Favourites. Clint's in fine voice throughout, and it's a very good listen, so enjoy opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, Chris? Well, we know who the hard left are. In the you know, ascendancy within the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation, that sort of hard left wing position. Hard sort of left, the hard 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 left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 the hard left, 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 hard 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 left,
1990 yet. It was a two film year for Clint as a director. So he directed White Hunter Black Heart, his personal project, and then one that I assume was what he did for the money to help him make White Hunter Black Heart. The Rookie, a buddy yeah. cop comedy in which he co-stars with Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Fucking Brown oh Julius in it as Charlie Sheen, at that point, I believe, a bankable movie star. Fucking hell. Late 80s, early 90s, yeah. What a tragic heyday. time for cinema. Oh, God, yeah. Then he took 1991 off and came back in 1992 guns blazing but in a very kind of downbeat unglamorous muted sort of fashion yeah he did unforgiven his greatest western and yeah. in my view <laughs> one of the greatest films of all time absolutely and his final western and i haven't yeah. seen it oh for fuck's well <laughs> you know what to do man this is what i was saying do. do the research watch the f- films that clint directed <laughs> the major ones but, uh, all right it's not my fault it's netflix's fault for being shit <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe what they only had. Uh, it was like Hereafter <laughs> and Jersey Boys. Yep, those were Clint's directorial films on American Netflix as of yes. this recording. The like, quintessential Clint. They had Gran Torino a little while ago, but they got rid of it. Ugh. So did you not so, end up watching that for this? I didn't rewatch it, so my memories of it come from an airplane around oh, right. the time of its release. <laughs> uh, but I was very into it. <laughs> because we'll it, I mean, I guess that, it sure. really chimes with your your politics you know yes i am massively right wing <laughs> right unforgiven yes yeah, the rookie do we have things to say about that my granddad had it on vhs but i never got around to watching it oh right okay well, well there we go it's he was a big funny. clinton fan so of course he, he had yeah. the rookie on vhs not who doesn't from, have the rookie on vhs not of the pussy generation different generation <laughs> oh no my so yeah unforgiven you'll notice a lot of the films so far we've been giving them quality praise or just kind of taking the piss out of them unforgiven won't really have a word said against it i think as i said it's a absolutely brilliant film didn't you perfectly describe it as clint at his most he's somewhat pro-sex worker in the film was that was that, was that your analogy of it <laughs> oh god i think i did say that to you yeah yeah i mean it's a film that has a good message of uh, don't go attacking sex workers with knives that's obviously that is not... a good message yeah <laughs> that's that not the, the message <laughs> Coming out. Any man I see out there, I'm gonna kill him. Any some bitch takes a shot at me, not only gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill his wife, all his friends, burn his damn house down. Bitches. That's not the entire yeah. gist of the film, but yeah, that's yeah. definitely part of it. And I found <laughs> out that actually one of the working titles for the film was The Cut Whore Killings. Oh, I've got to God, say, really? Unforgiven, better title than that. 
Yeah, I don't think I don't think because of course Unforgiven went on to win multiple Oscars. Imagine them giving out the award, and now the award for best picture goes to the Cut Hall Killings. Can, yeah, can I get your Oscar. Yeah, I don't think it would have been as big a hit in that case. No. But yeah, uh, it's a film off. written by David Webb Peoples, who was one of the writers of Blade Runner, and Clint acquired the rights to the script in the early 80s and then put it on the shelf for a decade while he waited to get a bit older so that he could play the role properly. Clint stars in it as William Money, who's a kind of aging farmer who used to be this gun-toting outlaw. And it's just a brilliant demystification of the classic cinematic iconography of the Old West. William Money kind of keeps insisting, I'm not like I was. He's widowed, he's got two young children, and he insists that his late wife really got him on the straight and narrow and got him off for whiskey and got him to change his ways. But needless to say, because it is a film that is quite exciting, and a lot happens in it, despite I've made it sound quite dour and downbeat, (laughs) it, it he does not stay good throughout the whole film but there's just some fantastic elements to it like guns are portrayed in it as as hugely destructive not just this kind of cool thing that you shoot at the guy and then he goes sleepy and his eyes close you know there's a weight uh, to them yeah yeah exactly they're these horrible kind of mutilating beasts and at the same time they look back at the iconography of the outlaw in the west and Clint he's asked by a younger character who kind of looks up to him what was it like when you killed such and such? And he's like, well, I was so drunk that I can't even remember. Was that what it was like in the old days, Will? Everybody riding out, shooting. Smoke all over the place, folks yelling, bullets whizzing by. I guess so. Shit. I thought they was going to get us. I was even scared a little. Just for a minute. Was you ever scared in them days? I can't remember. I was drunk most of the time. (laughs) I shot that fucker three times. Is kind of talking about how a lot of these legendary men are probably just, you know, kind of like violent, psychopathic drunks. Yeah. The, the famous mm. outlaws of the Old West, who it was probably a combination of luck and, you know, liquid courage that got them through a lot of the things they did. And yeah, famously, many of the gunfighters of the West were subject to this heavy mysticism surrounding them. Well, like Wyatt Earp, he wasn't an outlaw, but he was a lawman who was kind of a subject of a biography that heavily made up a lot of elements of his life and it was also the same for a lot of the others like Billy the Kid. So they this even, is kind of taking that apart really which is great. They even have within the film a character mythologising the events that are unfolding. They have a kind of writer of hack paperback novels who is trying to write the escapades of this gunfighter called English Bob yeah, portrayed, by Richard Harris. Yeah. yeah, in quite a kind of just a brilliant brilliantly grotesque and pathetic fashion by Richard Harris. And Gene Hackman plays, you know, I guess the up of the situation, the lawman, who then steals English Bob's biographer <laughs> when he packs English Bob out of town. And then he starts spinning his own completely bogus mythology. Oh, that look like real hard cases, Bob. Did you kill all seven of them dead? Or did you just wing some of them? 
Now that is you there, Red Bomb on the cover. The Duck of Death. Oh, it's the Duke. Duke, Duke of Death. Duke of oh, yeah. You always were a hell and Jesus with a pistol, Bob. But seven of them, boy. And you protect that woman and all that. How, how the hell do you do that? Uh, let me see. Uh, it's generally considered desirable in the publishing business to take a certain liberty when you're depicting the, uh, the cover scene. It is for reasons involving the marketplace, etc. Well, Mr. Beauchamp, from what I read this here book, the writing's not that much different than the picture. Well, I can assure you, Mr. Daggett, that the events that are described in there are taken from the account of eyewitnesses, sir. Eyewitnesses? Yes, sir. You mean like the duck himself, I guess? <laughs> they, uh, the duke. Duck, I says. And spoiler, but at the end, he just gets dispatched by Clint in a completely, yeah. you know, he does not die a romantic death. Deserves got nothing to do with it. Yeah, he he <laughs> dies squirming on the floor in cowardice, and Clint doesn't seem to get that much yeah. pleasure out of killing him. Just on so many levels, this film is brilliant. It talks about this young guy who's riding with Clint and his friend played by Morgan Freeman in the film. And again, it's brilliant to watch a film where Morgan Freeman, who you remember is a fantastic actor, is playing somebody other than the Morgan Freeman archetype, playing an actual human being. And you're Mm. like, oh, this guy actually is good. But the young guy is riding with him and he's like, oh, I killed five men, you know, I only only kill five men on account of my age. And towards (laughs) the end of the film, he actually does have to kill someone. And he starts crying and uh, just kind of says, like, "It's, it's horrible. And Clint says something to that effect doesn't he he's like you asked me what it's like to kill someone well it well it's awful that's what it is and there's the other line which is my favorite you know hell of a thing taking a man's life yeah. take away all he's got and all he's ever gonna have he's taking a shit and he went for his pistol and I blazed away first shot i got him right in the chest say will yeah. That was the first one. First one what? First one I ever killed. Yeah. You know how I said I shot five men and it weren't true. Uh, that Mexican had come at me with a knife. I just busted his leg with a shovel. I, I didn't kill him nothing either. Well, you sure killed the hell out of that fella today. Hell yeah. I killed the hell out of him, didn't I? Three shots and he was taking a shit. Take a drink, kid. Don't seem real. I ain't gonna never breathe again, ever. How he's dead. 
and the other one too. All on account of pulling the trigger. It's a hell of a thing killing a man. You take away all he's got, and all he's ever gonna have. Yeah. Well, I guess they had it coming. And fittingly, I don't think he'd ever need to add upon his Western legacy after this. It's the perfect way to close out a genre that helped make his career by yeah. just yeah. completely taking apart a lot of the overdone tropes of it and then kind of critiquing it. I wouldn't mind another Clint Western, but it, oh, will, ne it, will, no. never, it will never top. Well, forgiving. now he's back in the acting business of the mule. I'm hoping he'll have something lined up where he plays a, a, a 90-year-old gunfighter. Get him on a ranch, yeah, just on a ranch just spending the people on. Yeah! Get off my fucking farm! <laughs> so, yeah, Unforgiven feels like a very conscious attempt to dismantle his mythology. Well, his own mythology and the mythology of the Western more generally. And you could argue, as well as his character in the Western, it begins to dismantle the mythology of stuff like Dirty Harry. After that, I mean, I was reading a thing earlier today, I was, you know, doing my research and they were kind of saying after Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood reinvented himself with dark, hard-hitting pictures about the human condition. I'm like, no, he didn't. He did, like, absolute power and in the line of fire, <laughs> which are fucking ridiculous, and true crime and blood work, which are just fucking pot boilers and space cowboys and shit, which is, like, the most frivolous film what I've ever seen. What the fuck is that shit? Yeah. In 93, following Unforgiven, using his newfound cachet, he did a big old action film directly Directed by not Roland Emmerich, but Wolfgang Peterson. Wolfgang Peterson. Who's actually, uh, I think as he moved more into Hollywood, he became more of a hack, but he's has directed some good films. He directed Das Boot. Uh, oh, uh, he also oh, directed yes, The Never Ending yeah. Story as well, which I saw as a kid and it actually holds up quite well. Yeah. But yeah, I think as the more he went into Hollywood, the more he, he ended up, you know, he's done two presidential films. He's done In the Line of Fire and he also did Air Force One with Harrison Ford on Air Force One fighting off Gary Oldman and his terrorist gang. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, in the line of fire, great fun. Yeah, I, all the I bits like where they Photoshop Clint into the <laughs> fucking Kennedy assassination photos, so funny. Like, like they're going through the foes like he was the only surviving yeah. <laughs> secret serviceman who saw a president go down. <laughs> As I say, it is so funny in it that his wife left him because he failed to stop the assassination of JFK. John Malkovich's <laughs> <John Melkovitz, laughs> chewing scenery. Late at night, when the demons come, do you see the rifle coming out of that window, or do you see Kennedy's head being blown apart? If you'd reacted to that first shot, could you have gotten there in time to stop the big bullet? And if you had, that could have been your head being blown apart. Do you wish you'd succeeded, Frank? Or is life too precious? What's done is done, Booth. If that Esquire magazine article on the 10th anniversary about you and all the other agents that were there that day. So sad how your wife left you and took your little daughter. And you were so forthright about your drinking problem and the fact that you weren't easy to live with. 
I was so moved by your honesty. The world can be a cruel place to an honest man, Frank. And developing oh God, a plastic yeah. gun to go through security from what I recall. <laughs> it reminded me of existence when Jude Law... It's not... No, it's not Jude Law's character. Maybe it is. Anyway, one of the characters... No, I think it might... One of the characters in, in existence has, like, a gun made out of bones for, for that precise reason to get in undetected. But, yeah, that film is super fun. I really, really like it. It's really gripping and fun. This is the beginning of Clint's family hate him era. Because <laughs> uh, we've already had Unforgiven. Well, I guess there was already Tightrope in 84. Unforgiven, his wife's dead. A Perfect World from 93. Now, this is another one of the films where Clint grudgingly learns to respect a woman against his better judgment. <laughs> <laughs> so it's described by Wikipedia as a crime drama road film, which sounds about right. Kevin Costner plays an escaped con who basically ends up kidnapping this kid. And there's a proper funny bit in it that really took me aback, <laughs> where um, Kevin Costner's character, who he escapes from prison with, is like this super bad guy. Anyway, he like pulls down the pants of the little boy they've kidnapped and takes the piss out of the size of his dick. This, uh, I repeat, this is just like a little boy. Then Kevin Costner, for like unrelated reasons, kills him. And then, <laughs> and then the boy is really shy and stuff. And Kevin Costner's like, "What's the matter? Uh, get changed uh, into this." And, and, and the boy's like, "Are you gonna make fun of my dick size?" And Kevin Costner's like, "What? No, show it to me." <laughs> and then, and then this little kid shows him his penis. And Kevin Costa's like, ah, it's a good size for a boy your age. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, just a reference. What film is this again? A Perfect, a perfect World. world? Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's understand each other. Stealing's wrong, okay? But if there's something you need bad and you ain't got the money, then it's okay to take a loaner on the item. It's what you call an exception to the rule. What's wrong? You don't want to get dressed in front of me, is that it? You're embarrassed because I might see your pecker? It's puny. What? It's puny. Who told you that? Let me see. Go on, I'll shoot you straight. Hell no, Philip. Good size for a boy your age. And I've not seen it. Clint yeah. himself has a supporting role as a cop who's trying to trap them down. And it's quite funny because the bureaucrats in the police force just keep letting Clint down and not giving him the right. Or they try and give him this mobile police station that just like it falls down a cliff and stuff. It gets a bit tragic. But Clint's quite lighthearted in that. And yeah, he has basically Laura Derns in it as a younger cop. And Clint is just like, you're a woman, get the fuck out of here. And she She's like, ah, but I know how to do police work. And he's like, did you not hear me? I said, you're a woman. You're not supposed to be <laughs> in the police. And, he, and she's like, well, I'm actually good at it. And then eventually he's like, all right, okay, you're a good cop. <laughs> What'd he say? Who? Governor, Rhea. 
Oh, you reminded me that it's a election year. Hi. Hi. I uh, hope you don't drink before noon. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> Last one we had here seemed like she was on a liquid diet. <laughs> Last one? Secretary, Penny Monroe. Well, um, I believe you have me confused. I'm Sally Gerber, criminologist with the state prison system. See, I'm here from Huntsville. I was assigned by the governor. Adler, what is this? Uh, before we fully move on from In the Line of Fire, I think we need to mention the line in the film because I know a lot of left Twitter loves to talk about eating ass and ass and stuff like that. There's a great line from In the Line of Fire where Clint goes, You have a rendezvous with my ass, motherfucker. Yeah! <laughs> yeah. When he's talking to John Malkovich's character on the phone. Ah, so yeah. jokes. Oh, we can work something out. Fuck you. Frank, don't fucking lie to me. I have a rendezvous with death. Oh, and so does the president. And so do you, Frank, if you get too close to me. You have a rendezvous with my ass, motherfucker. Then Clint did a romance movie called The Bridges of Madison County. Which oh, Mill Street, yeah. Yeah, really boring, based on a really critically panned novel. Although Clint's film is supposed to be better than the novel, from what I understand. Anyway, I never watched it because, as I said earlier with Breezy, I'm not really interested in watching a Clint Eastwood romance film, even though he is in that one, unlike Breezy. I do like, though, Absolute Power from 1997. I mean, I rewatched it and it just feels like he had fun on the set of In the Line of Fire and was like, okay, I want my own of these kind of movies. So, um, <laughs> again, his daughter in it hates him. He's estranged from her. Her mum died like a year ago and Clint hasn't seen her since the funeral and he's like a brilliant jewel thief in that and he is robbing the president and then the president kills the woman that he's seeing and Clint sees it all and then there's a big manhunt for him because he knows that the president and his bodyguards killed this woman Gene Hackman plays the president chews the scenery a bit it's always good to see <laughs> yeah and it's an alright film but it feels like a kind of retread of in the line of fire so I wouldn't hugely recommend it. But basically, if you're a Clint fan, give it a shot. Yeah, sounds fair. If you just like him on screen doing his thing, watch that. I would say pretty much the same for true crime and blood work. Not to be confused with reactionary journalist James Bloodworth. <laughs> True Crime is about this guy who's on death row and Clint is a journalist in this one. Again, his family don't quite hate him, but at one point the hated James Woods plays one of Clint's colleagues at his newspaper he works for and says something like, You know what your problem is? You're a womanizer. And <laughs> so that's kind of how they portray Clint like yeah but women just can't resist him and he just can't resist them and his wife hasn't left him until midway through the film when she does leave him because he's been having, having an affair with his editor's wife so here's the whole thing like the editor's just really really angry throughout the whole film because Clint's cucked him uh, but yeah but uh, so Clint basically like it's Clint's last day on the journalist job and uh, <laughs> so he's about to get fired for fucking his editor's wife and he begins to suspect that this guy on death row played by Isaiah Washington is innocent after all and he's just about to get murdered it was sorry executed well uh, 
I, you know, I've never been in favour of a death penalty. Sure. So yeah, yeah, uh, murder, state murder. He's about to get murdered by the state, and Clint basically has to go and track down what really happened. And there's like a couple of witnesses and stuff, and so he, he looks into them, and you think that what they're gonna do is that because the two witnesses were white middle class people, that they framed the guy on death row because he's black. And that's sort of implied at one mm. point. Like Clint goes and meets the mother of one of the witnesses and she's like are you trying to make this into a racial thing just frame my son because he's black anyway it turns out that her son actually did do it so it was a black person and there was yeah it was it was just a different black person to the one who they unjustly imprisoned so so i was like "Mm, kind of missed an opportunity there to have a little poke at the racial uh, inequities in the criminal justice system there so i think with five minutes to go before the execution Clint saves the day. Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> who cares? Who's For a gonna... film that's like almost 20 years 20, old. It's 20 years old. It's it like... is 20 years old. Yeah, it's oh. 20 years old and it's like this like mid-tier Clint Eastwood film that, you know, wasn't yeah. a big hit when it came out and pretty much nobody remembers. Like, all I'm, the I'm, listeners, I'm... Spoiler alert. All the listeners I'm... right now are just raging at you, Jack. Like, how could you ruin yeah, this film for me? Spoil true crime. You've lost all of our his, patrons. His final so. Film before the turn of the millennium, you <laughs> yeah, fuck. a historic <laughs> film. Well, I mean, he followed true crime with Space Cowboys. Uh, have you guys seen? <laughs> have you guys seen Space Cowboys? I watched it no. on VHS when I was younger. My granddad, yeah, it's it, even it back then. I was like, like a what? fucking trip. It's so boring. Like for the first hour <laughs> of it, I was really on board with it. The flashbacks where they have the young actors with the old actors like Clint and Tommy Lee Jones's voices dubbed over the footage of them. That was great. <laughs> the whole bit where it's just Clint rounding up the old gang and they're all just making jokes about how old they are. I enjoyed that. <laughs> it's just when it gets to like halfway through and you're like, okay, now these old guys have all got to go up into space. There's an hour yeah, of the film left space. and I've, <laughs> I appear to have just stopped caring. What am I going to do? Clint Eastwood and Tommy Lee Jones have a grudge because when they were doing yeah. manoeuvres as young Air Force pilots, Tommy Lee Jones almost killed them or whatever. Yeah. And they've yeah. got this grudge and they've got to work over it. And then Tommy Lee Jones has to sacrifice himself. And all. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, whatever. I mean, it's Clint is good in it. Like, Clint has aged like a fine wine acting-wise. He's gone from kind of <laughs> brilliant enough performances, expressive enough performances in stuff like the Dollars Trilogy in the 60s to actually just being able to convey worlds you know to convey oceans magnitudes clearly i meant to say multitudes here with just this little squint of his eyes by the time you get to gran torino clint's face you know it's a monument as they say in cockfighter (laughs) the mystic realm of the great cock (laughs) a monument (laughs) <laughs> well, the reason they want to send Clint up is because it's like an old satellite that only he knows how to fix. Or it's yeah, 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 yeah. It was and Clint and the old guys. Well, you know what? They can't send the pussy generation up there, can they? <laughs> <laughs> like those guys, they're just sitting around asking for handouts. Yeah. You know, they're sitting they in don't... the control station. They're fucking on the computers and letting the, the real <laughs> watching porn, tapping yeah, phones, yeah. as Nicolas Cage says about the CIA in Paul Schrader's Dying of the Light. <laughs> <laughs> watching porn, tapping 
tapping phones. But yeah, then Space Cowboys was followed by Bloodwork, which I enjoy. It's a pretty absurd film. I'd say like true crime, Bloodwork, Double Bill, if I haven't spoiled true crime too much <laughs> for you already. These are two good late period films. Like basically Clint is like a badass cop and he's chasing some guy. But then he has a heart attack because he's old. And <laughs> Spoiler alert. No, this is the first scene. First scene is like, it counts as like... You, you spoiled the first scene for me. Though. It counts as the shit you put in trailers. But yeah, anyway, Clint has a heart attack and he has to get his heart replaced. Uh, he has to get a, He gets a heart transplant instantly. And it turns out that the guy who's chasing this serial killer killed the person whose heart he then got in a transplant in order to save him (laughs) and also killed somebody else but the ambulance didn't get there in time for them to give their heart and Clint basically like works out what they did because like all the people who this person killed like has the same blood type as Clint yeah like you have to see how that one turns out I won't spoil it for you the classic 2002 Clint Eastwood film (laughs) blood works Very good of you. Yeah. Uh, okay, but after Bloodwork is when he became like uh, Mr. Oscars. He just uh, right. be- he really yeah. did. It wasn't after Unforgiven because after Unforgiven he just carried on churning out production line Clint Eastwood <laughs> films, which I really <laughs> liked, by the way. But yeah, it was then 2004 he did Million Dollar Baby, which won all yeah. the Oscars and was just like a massive hit. Has anyone seen that? Oh yeah, Million Dollar Baby. Uh, yeah, no. it's pretty decent enough. That's I've the seen best Mystic <laughs> qualified praise tom but um yeah there's not i don't really have much to say about it i thought it was all right when i saw it yeah i really like maybe it, i should actually. rewatch it again maybe it was a few i years watched ago it I watched recently it. what do you think i think you're probably more qualified to give the most rounded opinion on it if you've seen it quite recently i don't really want yeah. to pass judgment on it when i, I saw it quite i, a few I years thought ago. it was good i'm like bear in mind i'm not a sports person or a boxing person at all but i thought it was yeah, one of the better films clint's made as a director like solid four stars i mean he is great in it. Hilary Swank is great in it. Morgan Freeman, again, playing an actual human being, is great in it. Although a little bit of the kind of, he narrates the film. So yeah, he does do a little bit of the Morgan Freeman stuff. But at the same time, him and Clint, as we know from Unforgiven, have such a great rapport that it's really good to see them on screen. And it's an incredibly powerful film. I mean, people have looked at it as a pro-euthanasia film. I mean, I, I think it is kind of saying that if somebody really, really wants to die, they yeah. should be allowed to but i don't think it's a kind of political agitprop film and i don't think clint would i don't think clint would approach it from the perspective of i'm making a message movie i think he'd approach it from a perspective of i'm making a boxing movie that's also a compelling human drama um yeah and i you know i thought it's it's very compelling boxing movie a lot of people have pointed out that the woman in it who punches Hilary Swank and paralyzes her yeah. uh, is just portrayed as just like the most insanely just repugnant dirty <laughs> yeah. piece of shit she, like she's she doesn't play by the rules she's yeah, like she's... a massive cheat who's just like punching her after the bell has rung it's she's... like Clint Eastwood's getting the megaphone like this is your antagonist yeah she's <laughs> like a Russian 
former prostitute or something, and she's portrayed like, look at this piece of shit, and she just comes along and just paralyzes Hillary she's, Swank. She's the Ivan Drago of Million Dollar Baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Melt sock dem. <laughs> Clint himself is just fucking amazing in that film. Like, he goes along to church just to wind up his priest. Uh, it, it's it, it's quite funny, actually, because it presages Gran Torino in the sense that Clint has a very adversarial relationship with his priest in it. Father, that was a great sermon. Made me weep. What's confusing you this week? Oh, it's the same old one God, three God thing. Frankie, most people figure out by kindergarten it's about faith. Is it sort of like snap, crackle, and pop all rolled up in one big box? You're standing outside my church comparing God to Rice Krispies. The only reason you come to Mass every day is to wind me up. It's not going to happen this morning. Well, I'm confused. No, you are. Yes, I am. Then here's your answer. There's one God. Anything else because I'm busy. What about the Holy Ghost? He's an expression of God's love. And Jesus? Son of God, don't play stupid. Well, what is he then? Does that make him a demigod? There are no demigods, you fucking pagan. What does he call the priest in Gran Torino? An overeducated 27-year-old virgin who likes to hold old ladies' hands and promise them the afterlife. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you watched, you watched it several times. Yeah, yeah. I knew it was I, yeah, something no, along those lines. I know that film well. <laughs> yeah. Are there Walt? Look, I'm not a friend of yours. Why do you insist on calling me Walt? Sorry? Mr. Kowalski. What are you peddling today, Padre? Nothing. Thought I'd drop by and see how you're doing. I haven't seen you in church in a while. Well, now that you've done your good deed, why don't you just take off down the road? I'd really like to talk, Mr. Kowalski. Not in this lifetime, Sonny. Why? Do you have a problem with me, Mr. Kowalski? You don't want to know. No, I do. Well, I think you're an overeducated 27-year-old virgin who likes to hold the hands of old ladies who are superstitious and promises them eternity. When I came down, me and Jack watched Gran Torino, and uh, yeah, boy, I don't think we there's always... a single community that Clint Eastwood doesn't smite in the film in some way. <laughs> I was saying someone should do a tally, but I mean, there is a racism supercut of Gran Torino on YouTube. I thought, incomplete. I thought they did a sloppy job, to be honest. There were clearly phrases that the YouTuber in question did not recognise to be racial slurs and thus neglected to include. And, and indeed, you're calling them out on that. Come on, there was more yeah, than that. And indeed, there were slurs that I missed on my first go around of the film and indeed my second, and that I only noticed for the first time watching it with Tom. <laughs> I, I think I've only seen it three times. I may have seen it more than once in my younger days. But Gran Torino is the next major East film and it's his next acting performance after Million Dollar Baby I mean he directed a couple of films in between Mystic River was one so yeah we didn't even mention Mystic River but Mystic River came just before Million Dollar Baby and it was yeah. actually Mystic River from 2003 that kicked off you know Oscar bait Clint but I think it's a great film um, oh yeah the scene that always stands out for me is when Sean Penn's character's just Sean got, Penn screaming got, yeah. with all the cops when he's got say. Tim Robbins is he in that room or is this this one scene where he's just trying to break Tim Robbins down to confess that he murdered the they're daughter. In the, of... They're literally in the Mystic River. Yeah. I just put two and two together in my head. I was like, they're in some kind of like stream. 
this kind of river. <laughs> yeah, no, they're literally in the Mystic River in Boston. Is that a Boston film? Yeah, I think it's set in Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boston. Like working yeah, class no, Boston community. Yeah, you know, no Ben Affleck, thankfully. Yeah, affected not by an his Affleck inside. Murder. I think that's a great film. That's one I rewatched yeah, for this episode. I mean, it could be read as another sort of repudiation of vigilante violence, and Sean Penn decides to take matters into his own hands to yeah. avenge the murder of his daughter and what do you know he gets the identity of the killer wrong you killed a child last time yeah well, me, me and the boy I didn't kill Katie I don't remember hearing anything about any guy's bodies being found no, no bodies. I put him in the trunk of my car Jimmy, what are you kidding me? Letting this piece of shit explain himself? Dump fuck him, him Jimmy. Do it. Fuck him, Jimmy. Fucking do it. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. Everybody shut up. This is my daughter I'm talking about. Shut up. Fuck. Shut up. Oh, yes. I've seen that. But it was a long time ago. I do remember enjoying it at the time. Yeah, it's very good. I completely, like, misremembered it. Because what I remembered was... On my first watch, I think I remembered it leaving loads of doubts as to Tim Robbins's character yeah. being the murderer. A second time I realised I completely misremembered it because what they do is that instead they just make it look like he is the murderer for the whole film and then they reveal he isn't. I think what happened was I felt so sorry for that character the first time watching it that I just was really hoping for all the indications that he was the killer were red herrings. And and, right. and and indeed, they turned out to be misleading. But then that arc of that character is resolved in so much more of a gutting way, even than him being falsely accused by the police of the murder, or even of him turning out to actually be the murderer and getting his comeuppance. Yeah. And then he did a duo of war films in 2006. Yes, yes. he did. So Clint Eastwood is often described, well, he is, he's a very conservative guy and a conservative filmmaker in a lot of ways, but a lot of his films post-2000, I'd say less so in the 2010s do appeal to a kind of Hollywood liberal mentality and something yeah. that he won a lot of accolades from people on the other side of the political aisle on was his decision to after Flags of Our Fathers which portrays the Battle of Iwo Jima am I right? Um, yep. From the, yeah. from the yep. American from, perspective. From the perspective yeah, yeah. of the Americans then he decided to do one co-written by Paul Haggis who wrote Million Dollar Baby I think then still in the Church of Scientology or maybe it just left <laughs> but <laughs> I will say that from a story perspective, story potential perspective, the Japanese side of the story is a more compelling narrative. Yes, yeah, so the, that's the, the traditional gung ho American kind of. You know they're going to win. When you're watching Letters from Iwo Jima, it's just this constant sense of dread because you know they're going to lose. Yeah. I was always drawn yeah. to that one more than Flanks of Our Fathers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but I would say that this is evidence of the fact that the main liberal tendency in Eastwood's work is a sort of shonky both sidesism, you know. Yeah, that's of that where one of the most progressive things that he's done as a filmmaker is to show the perspective of the <laughs> Nazi allied Imperial Japanese army. I mean, the main character is a drafty. Yeah, I mean, know, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm, you know, I not to. But yeah, yeah, I, I get, I get your point. I don't <laughs> think it's an outright reactionary film, but I think, it, no. you know, it is at best liberal. The fact that that's one of the most progressive sort of things that he's done 
one is pretty telling. Yeah, it's kind of like in J. Edgar, where it's sort of like, J. Edgar, look at this guy, he's a bad guy, he's abusing his power, but, you know, but isn't his romance with this guy so touching in a time when you couldn't really just have a romance with a guy if you were a guy, and it's like... Well, that's a good point, I suppose, and it's better than writing it out of the J. Edgar Hoover story. Yeah. But I kind of don't really want this guy humanized so much. <laughs> it's not, it's yeah. it, because it goes no way to cancel out the things that he did. It merely, right. it's merely another dimension to his life. So it's not a qualifier for uh, your judgment of what like, else he did. Uh, you were saying to me about particularly Gran Torino, but I think some other films of his uh, portrays this American melting pot of cultures yeah. where it's more of a chunky stew, you know, than a, yeah. a, a finely pureed blend because you, know, <laughs> you got your different groups that are all supposed to exist in harmony, but something's wrong in Gran Torino. It's like most of them are American in that perspective, but some not, such as that. Uh, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about Gran Torino more in a minute and who is American in Gran Torino and who isn't, but they're all kind of American yet, ra- yet racialized. Society as you say. And I guess the question for characters in Gran Torino is to what extent are they racialized? Because there seems to be a level you can ascend to. Walt, a Polish guy, he's American in Gran Torino. His Irish friend, you know, they all he racially abuses all of them. He's American. His Italian friend, uh, yeah. he racially abuses him. He's American. With, forgive me if I say this wrong, but I believe it's pronounced with a silent H, the Hmong, uh, yeah. the people who uh, they sort of come from a variety of countries in Southeast Asia. He doesn't see them as American. He very much has a perspective of why don't you go back to your own country? And it's probably fair to figure that whiteness plays a pretty significant part in which racial groups Clint... Bear in mind, he racialises them all. His character in Gran Torino sees all of them through the prism of race. Which ones that he sees that kind of delegitimizes them it's the you know people of color yeah so i've never seen his two 2006 war films and i don't have too much to say about changeling other than it shows an unwieldy and faceless and soulless bureaucracy in all levels of society particularly medical the police the government and so on <laughs> but gran torino we've been building it up as the centerpiece of our discussion i guess <laughs> it's a really fascinating film it's definitely as tom would say problematic but uh... <laughs> you get the impression that they're trying to show that what the clint eastwood character is doing is bad obviously but when we actually did some research on the film one of the co-stars of the film the actor who plays b vang is the name of the actor yeah he plays tao highlighted how he was quite unsettled by when the film was actually being screened in cinemas people were not reacting in the way that you would being shocked by how blatantly racist and unapologetic he can be in the film clint's character it was specifically when it screened to audiences primarily composed of white people that he made this observation he uh, yeah. was fairly satisfied with the film's reaction when he saw it with other Hmong people or with, I guess, largely non-white audiences. But 
then, yeah, seeing it in areas where the population majority white, he did feel that people were finding stuff that is actually quite horrible. Funny, when they shouldn't necessarily, and I saw a lot of people say this about Black Klansmen as well, that they went to see Black Klansmen and oh, yeah. people in the audience were... In fact, I went to see Black Klansmen in a room full of white people, and yeah, there were definitely some people chuckling away when the KKK guys used the N-word or something, and it, mm. and it is uncomfortable, I can imagine, especially if you're yeah. from one of the groups that are being targeted and i don't think he was talking about clint himself but bivang also said that he experienced some racism on the set really i can't get into the details of that there's a podcast where he talks about it i think he's spoken quite a lot about the film subsequently you know from what i understand there are inaccuracies to the way it portrays Hmong people some people in the community thought that it was good because it employed loads of them and it put loads of them in a major film but others thought that, you know, it's kind of, what is it saying necessarily? Yeah, and is it sort of tokenizing them, in a way? Well, it does have the kind of message of, you're just going to grow up to be a fucking gangbanger or whatever if you don't right. follow this yeah. old white man. <laughs> and I, I, yeah. I think, like... <laughs> I, if I, you I, don't I've... pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get a blue-collar job, or, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's all over the place in its message. I think a key point about Gran Torino, actually, is that at the end, Clint's character is redeemed, but he doesn't stop stop being racist no um, literally up into the yeah. scene when he locks Tao up in his basement so he doesn't go along to where the shooting's going to take place he's still yeah. dropping racial slurs and stuff so the character no, yeah, really... it's literally in the last scene literally in the scene where he gets shot he yeah. uses racial slurs at least twice or, yeah. or three times literally he's saying them he gets his lighter out, he gets shot and dies. He literally dies with some kind of horrible phrase for Southeast Asian people on the tip of his tongue. Uh, yeah. But you're supposed to think, oh, he was a good man after all. He did redeem himself and do something by giving his life like Jesus, you know? And uh, <laughs> that definitely makes a lot of the racism in the film have a bit of a, you know, a, a sour taste, really. It's, yeah. it, it, he I mean, yeah. who knows? It would have been corny if at the end he'd have learned, oh, I'm not going to say these terrible things anymore, you know? <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> that would have been very his, contrived. His son, Scott Eastwood, is in the film in a small role as... Uh... Shut up, pussy! Yeah, yeah, he gets, <laughs> gets shouted at by his dad, Clint, in the film. He's like, Get your old fame patty ass out of here. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, yeah, he abuses him for being Irish. <laughs> He abuses him because uh, he, he accuses him of trying to be a pretend gangbanger or something. Oh, yeah, no, he yeah. says worse than that. I don't think you'd be able to say what he says on this show. No, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to get the yeah. for that, really. Yeah. But... Yeah. This crazy motherfucker, man. What's wrong with him, man? You put his finger at him. Oh, shit. Come on now. Hey, Pops. Come on now. Shut your fucking face. You fucking don't listen, do you? Now get in the truck. Where to go, old man? Shut up, pussy. What is all this bro shit anyway? Want to be super shitty or something? These guys don't want to be your bro, and I don't blame them. Now get your old fave patty ass on down the road. But speaking of Scott Eastwood and Clint, should we have a brief mention of a certain interview? Oh, it's such a good interview. That's the interview where, on the note of Gran Torino, Clint's like, people said the guy in Gran Torino that I played, he was saying racist stuff. Back in my day, we didn't call that kind of stuff racist. I'm like, what? How is it not racist? 
<laughs> he like he when the barber overcharges him, he says, "What are you half Jew or something?" Like how does, is like, yeah. there's stuff like that in like every scene, and Clint's just like, "I'm racist." It's like no, no, I'm pretty sure Nick Shank was writing that screenplay. Like so, it's racist character. <laughs> when Clint's got the script for the film, his assistant said, "You do know this is a pretty politically incorrect script." He then read the script, and the first thing he said to his associate was, we're going to make this movie. (laughs) Yeah, he said, we're we're, we're starting production on this right now. (laughs) So I want to bring up this interview because this is the interview where he mentions the pussy generation, and also because there's several passages where it genuinely gets quite heartwarming, and then male banter just comes out of nowhere, and it's like, oh, you had a really sweet moment there. (laughs) Oh, God, male banter. Now, there's something I have thoughts on vis-a-vis the film's (laughs) That's literally a line in the film of Gran Torino isn't it when we're just having yeah. male banter or something well, like that. Well yeah actually yeah, let's talk about the role of male banter in the films of Clint Eastwood so like <laughs> in Gran Torino there's obviously this thing where he'll take the piss out of his barber for being Italian and his barber will call him a crazy Polak or something then they'll both take the piss out of the young Hmong guy for being you know Southeast Asian and it's kind of shown look it's on all sides right this kind of stuff <laughs> <laughs> it's just how men talk to each other and the thing of the pussy generation got to do is is learn to suck it up and you got this in American Sniper as well which we haven't gone to yeah. yet but Chris Kyle mass murderer is getting trained <laughs> in the army and you got the guy who's training all the troops just racially abusing the black ones and them kind of like just sucking it up and taking it and being like yes sir yes sir and then he like pans over and there's a black guy like you honky ass you know just ripping on all the white trainee troops for being white so it's just kind of like look guys yeah. this is on both sides it's just male banter and you just gotta learn to step up into the dojo and take it (laughs) I think it's the perfect synthesis of the reactionary and the liberal tendencies of Clint Eastwood but the reactionary, his love of racist, (laughs) sexist banter uh, and the liberal in his both sidesist perspective (laughs) yes, that is great that is a great point, yeah I have to make a little adjustment and man you up a little bit Man me up. Now you're just gonna learn how guys talk. You just listen to the way Martin and I batter it back and forth. You okay? You ready? Sir. All right. Let's go ahead. Perfect. A Polak and a milk. How you doing, Martin? You crazy Italian prick. Well, you cheap bastard, I should have known you'd come in. I was having such a pleasant day. Yeah, what'd you do, eh? Milk! Some poor blind guy out of his money. Gave him the wrong change. Who's the... Milk! Oh, he's a uh, pussy kid from next door. I'm just trying to man him up a little bit. Hmm. You see, kid? Now, that's how guys talk to one another. They do? When you got shit in your ears? I go on out and come back in and talk to him like a man. Like a real man. Come on, all. Come on. Get your ass out of here. Come on back now. Sorry about this. What's up, you old Italian prick? Get out of my shop before I blow your head off, you goddamn dick smoking milk! Jesus Christ. Oh, shit. <laughs> Take it easy. Take it easy. What the hell are you doing? Have you lost your mind? 
But, but that's what you said. That's what you said men say. You, do, you don't just come in and insult the man in his own shop. You just don't do that. What happens if you meet some stranger, you get the wrong one, he's gonna blow your milk head right off. What should I have said then? Yeah, kid, why don't you start with, um, hi, or hello? Yeah, just come in and say, uh, sir, I'd like a haircut, if you have the time. Yeah, be polite, but don't kiss ass. In fact, you could talk about a construction job you just came from, and bitch about your girlfriend in your car. Um, son of a bitch, I just got my brakes fixed, and those sons of bitches really nailed me. I mean, they screwed me right in the ass. Yeah, don't swear at the guy. Just talk about people who are not in the room. Uh, you could bitch about your boss uh, making you work overtime when it's bowling night. Right, or uh, my old lady bitches for two goddamn hours about how uh, they don't take expired coupons at the grocery store, and the minute I turn on the fucking game, she starts crying how we never talk. See, now go out, come back and talk to him, and it ain't rocket science, for Christ's sake. Yeah, but I don't have a job, a car, or a girlfriend. Jesus, I should have blown his head off when I had the chance. Yeah, maybe so. Now, okay, I want you to turn around and go outside and come back and don't talk about having no job, no car, no girlfriend, no future, no dick, okay? Just turn around and go. Excuse me, sir. I need a haircut. If you ain't too busy, you old Italian son of a bitch prick barber. Boy, does my ass hurt from all the guys in my construction job. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> I found the uh, extract from the interview. So this was from an interview that uh, Clint and Scott Eastwood gave to Esquire magazine. And the interviewer That's asked great. him, your characters have become a touchstone in the culture, whether it's Reagan invoking Make My Day or now Trump. <laughs> I swear he's even practiced your scowl. And Clint said, maybe, but he's onto something. Because secretly everybody's getting tired of political correctness. Kissing up. <laughs> That's the kiss-ass generation we're in right now. We're, we're really in a pussy generation. Everybody's, every, everybody's walking on eggshells. We see people accusing people of being racist and all kinds of stuff. When I grew up... <laughs> he seems oh, really yeah he seems really offended by people being called racist he's yeah. like hey he, he sounds like a bit of a pussy yeah yeah exactly he's like hey <laughs> hey there's some words you just can't say you know yeah <laughs> bloody clint snowflake when i grew up Can those things weren't called <laughs> when i grew up those things weren't called racist and then when i did gran torino <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, I've got to ask them what was it called then, Clint? Because I tell you, just tell normal you, talk. Yeah, because it was a racist time. male banter. And there's a reason a lot of different groups weren't able to call it out because they would have been fucking attacked or kind of marginalised. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's why they didn't fucking call it racist because they would have been, you know, fucking attacked for calling it out. Um, like, this is anyway, racist. Sorry. Clint would just be like, "Shut up, pussy." Literally, um, <laughs> he says. And then when I did Gran Torino, even my associates said. This is a really good script, but it's politically incorrect. And I said, good, let me read it tonight. The next morning, <laughs> I came in and I threw it on his desk and I said, we're starting this immediately. <laughs> and, and, then, and then the interviewer continues saying, what is the pussy generation? And Clint says, and all these, and all these people that say, oh, you can't do that. And you can't do this. And you can't say that. 
I guess it's just the times. <laughs> of course, we're living sort of a more of a pussy generation now where everybody's kind of going, wow, how do we handle it psychologically? Yeah. Where in those days you just say, hey, shut up, and you punch the guy back if a guy swung at you or something. You just kind of duped it out and got it over with. And then, that, then after that, the guy usually, at least they respected you for fighting back. And so they'd leave you alone from then on. Sensitivity training was not part of the... <laughs> part of the act. <laughs> they ask him about can't Trump. They ask him about. They ask him about Trump, and he <laughs> says, "What Trump is onto is he's just saying what's on his mind, and sometimes it's not so good. No shit, Clint. And sometimes <laughs> it's. I mean, I can understand where he's coming from, but I don't always agree with it. He doesn't he name any of the stuff that he disagrees with. Trump, yeah, does he? Right. <laughs> I genuinely think that Clint has got a load more right wing over the last few years. You see a clip oh, yeah. of him in 2016, and he's just talking about the people who the Republicans have put up and he's just like I like them all and it's just like it's, it's just the, the shittest collection of human beings in the world and he's like yeah Ted Cruz got a lot of respect for him I've met Marco Rubio he's a real good guy and it's just like no, what they're all cunts and they're all just like such square fucking I guess I mean Clint's square but like they're all just such machine politicians pen pushing fucking Washington Capitol Hill bureau Bureaucrats, you know. Shouldn't like the Republican dipshit machine. What are your thoughts on the Republican field right now? And have you made a, a selection? No, selection I haven't made any selection because there's quite a few of them, and I think there's uh, quite a few of them that are really good people. And, right. uh, but I uh, don't, uh, I'm just kind of looking and doing uh, watchful waiting. Do you feel that Trump can go all the way? You know, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. It's, it's an unusual uh, thing he's done so far. I mean, he's done quite well. So we'll see where he goes. Um, I think people are looking for somebody who's outspoken and who isn't afraid. Right. And he seems to have kind of a fearless attitude. He's great. I like uh, Ben Carson because he's a, kind of a common sense guy. Right. And he's also uh, doesn't seem to be afraid, you know. And there's Rubio, and uh, who I've I've met and and I, and I like very much, and uh, and Ted Cruz. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good Any lot. Any one of them would be better than what we've got. Yeah, Tied like, you could, just, that, yeah. you could imagine Clint when he had a little bit more fire in his belly just hating these guys. And now he probably, just because they're the kind of people who put red tape in place of the people who need to get shit done, you know, <laughs> and now he sees them at the country club and, and that's humanised them a bit. Yeah. I mean, he's probably been hanging out at country clubs for like 40 years. But you know what I mean? I think there's been a kind of political journey that he's been on in the last few years. And of course, in 2010, he did his famous speech at the Republican National Convention. Which I've got the quote of him talking about it from this interview right here. Also, I'd like to point out that in the same interview, they ask him about his libertarian I think he was a registered member, but in this interview from only a couple of years ago he actually says that he doesn't really know anymore he just literally admits that his politics are all over the place and he doesn't really yeah. know can't label himself. And that's probably <laughs> true to be fair. When talking about his appearance at the Republican Convention, he says it was silly at the time, but I was standing backstage and I'm hearing every Everybody say the same thing. Oh, this guy's a great guy. Great. He's a great guy. I've got to say something more. And so I'm listening to an old Neil Diamond thing and he's going... Not even the chair. And I'm thinking, 
That's Obama. He doesn't go to work. He doesn't go down to Congress and make a deal. Busy generation. What's the, what, what the hell's he doing sitting in the White House? If I were in that job, I'd get down there and make a deal. Sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. Congress are lazy bastards. But so what? You're the top guy. You're the president of the company. It's your responsibility to make sure everybody does well. It's the same with every company in this country, whether it's a two-man company or a 200-man company. And that's the pussy generation. Nobody wants to work. <laughs> Obama, the famous millennial cuck flame. It's just, it's just a tirade that just goes off into nothing. It's just classic old yeah. man clean. Yeah, it's just like, oh, oh. He, Obama, he's just sitting on his ass getting in... Make, he needs to... Uh, Make a deal, uh, 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 pussy generation. Uh. <laughs> just trails off into just like random, like grumpy old man shit. But his speech at the Republican National Convention is so funny. I only watched it for the first time with Tom, I think, because I've always been a Clint fan, so it's something that I never wanted to watch because it's just so, <laughs> so sad and tragic. But I guess over the last few years, as I've got more left wing, I've begun to be dissatisfied with the politics of almost every film I've watched. So now I can watch reactionary <laughs> stuff like Clint Eastwood movies and just really enjoy it because at least it's not more dishonest liberal shit. Yeah, so, true. Uh, what it is, what really, was my it? point? Yeah, I'm a conservative now is, is basically what I've, I've, I've taken. <laughs> that, that too. Yeah, it was the Mitt Romney campaign of 2012 that got me uh, energised uh, in conservative <laughs> politics. No, seriously, what was I actually saying? about the uh, no, the speech itself the which was pretty like it was all over the place i'm pretty sure he improv some of it because the way he delivered some of it either that was just, yeah. just confused as to where he was I don't know. well sometimes his libertarian tendencies would come out and then he'd remember that he was speaking to an audience and like <laughs> baying right-wing jackals and be yeah. like oh, oh oh shit so like, at one point he's like ah obama you said you'd close guantanamo and then he realizes oh shit the audience here like guantanamo but and, wait, why would you and then that? yeah yeah then he's literally just like I don't know why you wanted to do that anyway. It's, uh, it's <laughs> we do we not need to torture people or something? Yeah. So. So, Mr. President, how do you uh, how do you handle uh, how do you handle promises that you've made when you were running for election, and how do you handle uh, how do you handle it? I mean, what do you say to people? Do you uh, do you just uh, you know, I know people. Uh, people were wondering. You don't. You don't have it. Okay. Well, I know even some of the people in your own party were very disappointed when you didn't close Gitmo. And I thought, uh, well, I think get, closing Gitmo. Why close that? We've spent so much money on it. Uh, but uh, I thought maybe it's an excuse. Uh, uh, oh, what do you mean, shut up? Okay. It just, I thought it was just because somebody had a stupid idea of trying uh, terrorists in downtown New York City. Maybe that would be. Uh, 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 
And it, it's uh, just such an embarrassing, shambling display. And he's like portraying Obama the chair as just being like verbally abusive to him and telling him to fuck off and stuff. But like, see, I think he suggests it says like Romney should go fuck himself. And he's like, how is he going to do that then? It's a yeah, bit of it, a train wreck, isn't it? It's a pretty tragic spectacle. But yeah, worth it for the bits where he starts attacking Obama from the left and then hurriedly realizes what he's doing and has to backtrack, which happens more. More than once and just shows how all over the place Clint's politics are. I'm pretty sure there's a few cutaways from him to the audience and when he's saying the more left-leaning stuff, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> they're I mean... just like applauding but not knowing what they're applauding. And I know in, in the, uh, I know you were against uh, the war in Iraq and uh, that's okay, uh, but you thought the war in Afghanistan was, was uh, okay. You know, I mean, you thought that was something that was worth doing. We didn't check with the Russians to see how they did there for the 10 years, but, but it, uh, we, we did it. And uh, it, it was, um, it, you know, it, it's, uh, it's something to, uh, to be thought about. And I think that, uh, that when we get to uh, uh, maybe, uh, I think you mentioned something about having a target date for bringing everybody home. And you give that target date, and, uh, and I think uh, Mr. Romney asked the only sensible question. And he says, why are you giving the date out now? Why don't you just bring them home tomorrow morning? And uh, I, thought, I, I thought, yeah, there's a, I, I'm not going to shut up. It's my turn. So I've got to say, in terms of the films he's done in the 2010s, I would say that the short film Clint Eastwood's DNC speech, uh, RNC speech rather, is probably one of the more entertaining <laughs> things he's done. Like I think something happened after Gran Torino where Clint yeah. did start running out of steam a little bit and he didn't do any acting other than Trouble with the Curve, which is yeah. a sports drama, but looked so boring. Oh my god. Right. It's uh, just about the uh, relationship between yeah. him and his daughter, isn't it, I believe, played by Amy uh, Adams in the I, film. Who cares? I don't know. Yeah. Don't, 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 don't try and tell me what that fucking film's about. Don't you dare. Yeah, I'm but not mate, I, it's I, got I, Justin Timberlake. Oh, uh, Peak, great. Justin Timberlake. Peak. Justin Twilight, Timberlake. Justin Timberlake. He was in Twilight. Spoiler alert. No, th this is the Twilight of his acting career. Oh, okay, yeah, I, uh, yeah, see, yeah, yeah, confused. Anyway, yeah, he did Invictus, where he reunited with Morgan Freeman. I haven't seen it, though. It looks like Oscar. Never seen it. Looks like Oscar bait shit, to be honest. One of his yeah. more liberal outings, yeah. Hereafter. Which was boring as fuck and honestly did not hold my attention for more than 10 minutes at a time. Oh, I, God, yeah. I kept trying to focus and then over time I'd just be like, what is going on? And just play with my phone and be like, no, no, pay attention to the movie. I, I just, <laughs> I really struggled with getting through this one. Yeah. And I actually was thankful when it was over. Oh, know, wow. Audibly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't that know. There, there was a weird bit where I thought it was going to get all British social realist for a second. And then it was like trying to ape some kind of weird, gritty drama thing. And then, yeah, I don't know boring film. Sounded bad. I'm glad you watched that so I didn't have to. 
I did watch his next film though, J. Edgar. I think I already mentioned this. It's a yeah. kind of yeah. uneasy combination of writer Dustin Lance Black, Milk, liberalism, and Clint's own yeah. uneasy combination of conservatism and anti-government extremism. So, <laughs> I mean, I think it's not a pro J. Edgar Hoover film. I don't think it's full-on apologia. DiCaprio's in it. I mean, DiCaprio's good in it. Obviously, he's in it. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler, god damn yeah, Although, it. although he <laughs> sounds bare like comic book guy from The Simpsons in it. <laughs> Let me tell you something. The SCLC has direct communist ties. Even great men can be corrupted, Comedy. Communism is not a political party. It is a disease. It corrupts the soul, turning even the gentlest of men into vicious, evil tyrants. What we are seeing is a pervasive contempt for law and order. Crime rates are soaring, there's widespread open defiance of authority, and mark my words, if this goes unchecked, it will once again plunge our nation into the depths of anarchy. And it is also the darkest film I have ever seen. Not in terms of subject matter, like visually. in terms of the lighting. <laughs> Clint is just like, hey, what if we do a, a metaphor? for how uh, everything J. Edgar Hoover did was shrouded in the shadows so by uh, shrouding everything in the shadows. And if you're a crew member working on Clint film, you're not going to say no to him, are you? So you'd just be like, no, yeah, sure. Can, yeah, yeah, make it dark. Yeah. yeah, sure. I want to get paid. Yeah, we do what you want. Yeah. Trouble with the curve he acted in, but he didn't direct it. It was directed by Robert Lorenz, who is an Eastwood apparatchik, whose credits include... Page didn't load up in time, so I, I, I don't care. And then um, he took a free year break before doing <laughs> Jersey Boys. <laughs> Jersey! Jersey Which was Boys. also terrible. Yeah, so you watched Jersey Boys today, didn't you? I, I didn't actually finish it. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. I can survive that. It did not pass the walk-hard test. <laughs> it's about Frankie uh, Valley and the Four Seasons, biopic. isn't it? It was extremely paint-by-numbers. Everything you would expect it to be. Yeah, but, hey, also, I, I think, as I said to you, Jack, it felt weirdly, especially in the opening scene, like Clint was trying to make a Martin Scorsese film about the Jersey Boys. Interesting. Which, yeah. weird. Weird, weird flavor. In terms Could of camera work like, and editing, how just like, like it gets quite surprised. watching the first ten minutes to get the feel for it, but it's not a good movie. And neither is the other film that he made in that year. <laughs> oh god, yeah, okay, so that was a double film year for Clint, and he also directed American Sniper in 2014. Yes. So at this point, I'd like to break out the quote from Alex Cox's introduction to film, A Director's Perspective, which comes directly after the section on Philip Kaufman's The Right Stuff that appears in the chapter Hollywood, Self-Censorship and Product Placement. Cox writes, Drama is not devoid of bias. In a time of war and paranoia, it is apt to be biased in favour of war and paranoia. American Sniper was originally to have been directed by Steven Spielberg, a Democrat. Spielberg dropped out because he wanted a budget of $160 million, and Warner Brothers was only prepared to spend $60 million. Clint Eastwood, a Republican, did the job instead. This was a disagreement about money, not about the bias or moral direction of the Sniper biopic. American Sniper is a bipartisan film. I'll let I you guys lead watch... the way on that. 
Yeah, I put off watching it for a long time because I thought it didn't look up my street politically. Uh, yeah, sure enough, it is racist, imperialist trash. Uh, I thought it was, <laughs> I didn't hate it as much as I could have done, but I thought it was pretty. Uh, I don't think it was. In- I mean, it had a happy ending. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> well, no, actually, it didn't. I, no, I thought the ending was one of the most grotesque things about it. So I hesitated there because I almost said that it was just really bad. But I don't think it's incompetent or inept film. Filmmaking. I mean, people have said that about Eastwood's two 2018 yeah. films. Now, I think American Sniper is extremely competently made. I think the fight scenes True. are True, it, it was very mounted. watchable. Oh, yeah, so you watched it as well, yeah, yeah. I, I did, when it came out at the time. Okay, I've only just caught up with it. I think that the ending, which you mentioned, obviously the American Sniper, Chris Kyle, who had 255 kills from four tours in Iraq, which is astonishing. That guy cannot have had a soul or a heart or, or, you know, whatever means gives you the ability to relate to people in any kind of way. (laughs) What a fucking monster. Anyway, Clint heard about this and was like, great guy. He read the book. He was like, (laughs) he was like, what an American hero. Despite the fact that Clint has been against every American military intervention (laughs) in his lifetime, he is anti-interventionist. That's one of the areas that his politics are quite all right. Iraq didn't support that. But he's very pro- shooting brown people i guess yeah well i guess it's more about that he's doing it for his country rather than the fact that (laughs) that, rather than the war itself because clint has said he didn't support the iraq war of course clint says the film is anti-war bullshit a film like this is is not (laughs) is not anti-war you can't make a film like this without getting the fucking approval of the state department anyway i (laughs) i think there's fuck all anti-war about this film and what's really really great i did not get any anti-war vibes yeah well it's you know it's what they always say isn't it unlike in flags of our fathers and letters from iwo jima where that was pretty heavily played well i i guess it's the thing that a lot of people who make imperialistic trash say oh it's pro-military but anti-war. Okay, yeah. Nice one. I see what you did there, Donald Rumsfeld. But yeah, I mean, I thought that actually what was grotesque about American Sniper is that it didn't have a happy ending. Chris Kyle, you don't see him get shot. Apparently at the request of his widow, she asked that Clint take that scene out of the film and so what happens is that there's a foreshadowing scene where you know the evil boxer in Million Dollar Baby well, yeah. well, her war veteran equivalent <laughs> is like just glowering at Chris Kyle. He's like, "Hey, hey, how you doing? Let's go. You're, to, let's, you're right. Yeah, let's go to the gun range. Like a complete dipshit. Like, uh, like <laughs> yeah. that's just how fucked is that? Just like, let's go to the gun range to take our minds off our PTSD from yeah. war. How fucking stupid. But anyway, you see this kind of evil-looking guy like glowering away at Chris Kyle, and then it's like Chris Kyle was killed by a man he was trying to help and then the credits roll over gaudy footage of a military funeral be it chris kyle's real funeral or a staged one for the film but it's grotesque flag waving jingoistic bollocks and it's like no 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 i've just watched this guy murdering brown people including fucking kids for two hours and you're not even going to show him dying how is his life worth so much more than yeah. than the 255 people he murdered i definitely meant that the consequence was good yeah 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 okay yeah no i mean i, I think yeah. what clint you needs make, to you do you raise a great point about the end yeah. clint needs to make amends by making a film about the true american hero who killed chris kyle <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I'd watch that film. Yeah, absolutely. But I thought it was a film that was deeply flawed. It was going to be made by Steven Spielberg. Uh, I think it would have been some pedestrian liberal shit in that case about, yeah. about like, the toll that war takes on a man. I think it's probably more honest in terms of its portrayal yeah. of American foreign policy where non-Americans, uh, especially brown ones, are just a little blip on the fucking radar than a liberal film on the same subject matter would be. So I think it's ugly. It's an ugly, unpleasant film that I disliked but I think is not as dishonest as it could have been. America, yeah. America does see its victims as barely human. That's how the film portrays them. I, so That's true. It's an accurate reflection of the imperialist mindset. Which is probably the tiny sliver of me that enjoyed the film almost. Like you say, it's pretty unflinching, mm. but it doesn't actually ever comment on that. So yeah. it just comes across as really fucking hollow and cold mm. and itself an uncaring film about an uncaring person. Yeah, I think that's very fair. And his follow-up to that in 2016 was Sully. Uh, I watched this the other night. It was the last Clint Eastwood film I watched in preparation for this episode. And I have to say, I didn't like it. I've not seen it. So it came out in 2016, and it... (laughs) Because the film's about a plane disaster, several major airlines decided not to screen the movie within their (laughs) onboard entertainment. But, I mean, it's kind of a plane disaster movie, but it's kind of Eastwood's latest libertarian screed (laughs) against pen-pushing bureaucrats (laughs) masquerading Yeah, trying to find out what. uh, Questioning his actions and all this. Oh, I'm reading the summary now. (laughs) Yeah, let me go onto the contrast. Controversy bit. So the film generated controversy for its depiction of the National Transportation Board as antagonistic. So it's all about like the ever tedious Tom Hanks uh, yeah. plays this heroic pilot who saves a bunch of. You remember the story? Uh, this pilot landed a plane that was yeah. going down on the Hudson River. But Clint had a very particular perspective on what happened subsequently. It says on Wikipedia in a promotional video preceding the release, Eastwood claimed that the National Transport Safety Board had railroaded Sullenberger by trying to paint the picture that he had done the wrong thing. After its release, NTSB investigators objected to their portrayal. <laughs> it's quite similar uh, to 1517 in the sense that you get the sense that Eastwood and people making the film are really struggling to pad it out. Initially, yeah. the main events of the film will take up a small amount of the film and then it's him trying to desperately clubber everything else around it to pad it out a little bit, which yeah. harms the film right. in terms of pacing. Yeah, and the investigator in charge of the hearing said, I do not know why the writer and director chose to twist the role of the NTSB into such an inaccurate depiction. Yeah. I'm seeing in the real life event that the board ultimately ruled in favor. That yeah, he, that he made the correct decision, and it, and it, and that so. does happen eventually in the movie. It's just that for most of it, they're just like, "Why did you save those people's lives, Sully? <laughs> Why did you not follow our bureaucratic guidelines and let them die?" <laughs> <laughs> Again, padding. Buddy, they won't even let me fuck the red tape. (laughs) (laughs) And then... American Sniper and Sully are both exemplary of this kind of new trend in Theater Clint Eastwood's filmmaking in the 2010s, which is these kind of quite often quite boring portraits of... uh, talented, honourable American professional. And so you've got American yeah. Sniper, you've got Sully, and then you have 1517 to Paris, which I don't know about you guys, I liked it. 
Clint has finally found members of the pussy three entire <laughs> members of the pussy generation that he likes. Yeah, you and... have to fought a terrorist <laughs> incident to get his approval. Yeah, and take those yeah. fucking AK forty sevens off those jihadists and stay <laughs> what's right. Yeah, but I mean, but if Clint... you don't, you're a fucking pussy. Yeah, I mean, Ridiculous. Clint um, dramatized the incident where three American guys on train, I think two of whom were in the army, basically saved the train from this. ISIS guy who had guns and shit and was gonna you know fuck some shit up and there was also I think like a French guy who helped but he's not a main character in the film it's the Americans which is a fair enough narrative choice because the three of them did know each other and they didn't know the French guy so it's not purely a jingoistic choice I don't think in fact actually the film ends bear in mind this film is an hour and a half if that and the last roughly 10 minutes of the film consists of a stirring speech by Francois Hollande, former, <laughs> former socialist it, party prime minister of France. I'm not a fan of Hollande. I'm, of course, more much, much more of a Macron. Jacques Chirac, Francois Fillon, Nicolas Sarkozy kind of, you know, you know my right-wing this, proclivities. This sudden turn to right-wing libertarianism, yeah. If I was in Italy, of course, I would be a Berlusconi man through and through. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that's hilarious. I mean, there's nothing that Hollande says, because Hollande at that point, of course, had got very sort of patriotic, flag-waving, you know, declaring a state of emergency because of all the terrorist attacks and attempting to bring France together in what was a fairly jingoist way. There's nothing he says in his speech that I could imagine Clint disagreeing with. It's just quite funny that the end of the movie is a big speech by Francois Hollande. I can imagine uh, Clint like seeing the clip of the, the, the Hollande speech and just being like, hey, this socialist guy's not bad, you know? This guy's talking sense. <laughs> I found what I agree with. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. you know, he's from the Socialist Party and he's saying some stuff I agree with, you know? It's, yeah. Maybe they're not well, all bad. It's like, no, yeah, no, well, I mean, you know, guy is very a, bad. Yeah, I mean, the French Socialist Party has contained Pretty people wanking. such as uh, Macron and uh, Dominique Strauss-Kahn. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, not purely a party of staunch socialist stalwarts, but... Some, yeah, so you got you got the fifteen seventeen to Paris, which I thought actually was underrated. I thought it was a, a touching pay end to bros being bros, and the, f- the first hour of it has been criticised as quite sort of technically formally inept. No, I liked it. I thought it was experimental. Actually, I thought it's Clint pushing the envelope. Uh, Yeah, barely competent. Maybe to somebody else. To me, it looked like him really trying to capture something kind of verite, possibly the most realist Clint has ever got. And of course, that's best illustrated by him casting the three actual guys who did the thing to play themselves. Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, So like the first hour, you have a bit of a movie where it's younger guys playing them with Jenna Fisher from Walk Hard: The Dewey Cox Story as one of their mums actual well-known actresses of their mums then it's just them playing themselves and one of them can kind of act but the other two like cannot at all uh (laughs) like one of the ones who couldn't act like i saw them on fucking letterman or something one of those talk shows and he was like oh yeah just been to an audition i'm like really really you're trying to do more acting okay but I, i enjoyed it i thought that the actual shooting 
the bit where they stopped the ISIS guy was well done. And the bit before that was just kind of fun because it's just Clint like filming these guys like hanging out and trying to pick up girls and drinking and, you know, just fucking up in their jobs. And, you know, it's just so mundane in a way that I found strangely bewitching. And bear in mind, I started watching it at like five in the morning one night when I was like so stoned over the Christmas period. Yeah. Uh, so I was in a complete daze, but in that condition, dug it. And unfortunately, I have yet to see the mule, but I hope the two of them make a great one-two punch. Oh, and one guy did actually get shot on the train, apart from a terrorist himself. One guy actually did get shot on that train, and he plays himself in the movie and reenacts getting shot. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a good bit of therapy, you know. Yeah, (laughs) he went really method for that one and then the mule has just come out where 88 year old clint plays a 90 year old man smuggling coke for the cartels sorry based on a guy called leo sharp who was yeah the oldest drug mule in the world (laughs) he plays a sexually active 90 year old man who has not one but two threesomes in the course of the movie with much younger women yeah because this is Clint Eastwood and all the ladies love Clint Eastwood. Do you, right? do you reckon Clint still fucks? <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 Sure. Actually, I don't know. Like, if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, I'd have been like, yeah, but seeing all the interviews for he's done for the mule, <laughs> he's like so old now. Like, his, his hair doesn't even look neat anymore. That's what. Hey, you you only need to move so much. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like... I suppose. So. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't give a fuck. But that's cool, I guess. so alright this has taken us like three hours or so but we've gone through I think every Clint Eastwood film that any of us have seen I think it's pretty pretty comprehensive and he's an interesting guy to talk about you know he's been there for a long time in film he's sort of like a monolith you can't avoid him and we wanted to talk about him because his politics are just so intriguing they're not good but there is an entire Wikipedia page called the political life of Clint Eastwood I mean you mentioned that he was a mayor of Camel by the sea for like two yeah, years. Yeah, I love so. it. And he was a bipartisan mayor. I think he was elected on Republican <laughs> ticket, but his whole thing was like, hey, I speak to both sides. <laughs> 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 Just like a melt mayor, basically. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. So there you have it. Clint Eastwood, we'll all be going to go I'll see... I'll be disappointed if at no point in his mayorship did he have to defend the town with a six-shooter. <laughs> yeah. Well, I swear he got it so that he could build a fucking... I don't know, there was some reason. I, Extension I, 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 his house. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was like basically like the Jimmy Page, Robbie Williams beef where, it was, where, where he had to build an extensionized house, but he couldn't and get that's a mission. good sort of bookend, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Returning to celebrity oh, beef. I've just yeah. noticed on his Wikipedia page, on the section where it says children, it starts off by saying undetermined number. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> like Jesus that feel god. when you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, yeah. It's apparently worth three hundred and seventy five million dollars, which is like not as much but... as I thought. <laughs> Hey man, he doesn't. It's he. enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I just assumed he'd be a billionaire. Yeah. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe he dodges tax, so his true wealth isn't known. <laughs> oh, there is that bit. You remember we remarked on it when we watched Gran Torino, Tom, but yeah. where he's confessing his sins and he's just like, uh, I bought a boat and I didn't pay tax on it. It's yeah. like stealing, you know. 
<laughs> it's like, like, hey. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. What are your sins, my son? Well, in 1968, I kissed Betty Jablonski at the factory Christmas party. Dorothy was in the other room with the other wives. It just happened. Yes, go on. Well, I made a $900 profit selling a boat and a motor. I didn't pay the taxes. It's the same as stealing. Yes, fine. Thank you, Padre. It's the most, like, civically minded I've seen Clint be, like, outside of the mayoralty of Carmel. <laughs> <laughs> Carmel, also where uh, Play Misty for me is set. Ah, Carmel. Right. Folks, so, we'll be watching The Mule, yeah, I'm sure. everybody, thank you. Yeah. I'm looking forward to The Mule. You I should know. give us money. Yeah, oh, totally. Oh, we've got oh, to do this of me. Oh, God. Okay. What about uh, Clint, <laughs> we've got to Clint plug Eastwood? We're a real podcast now. We have to beg. Yeah. Hey, how's this? Clint Eastwood, cop or comrade? Oh, don't do that. <laughs> Copraid. <laughs> yeah, that's the best answer, really, isn't it? Copraid. He has We're going to be very liberal about this and say that there's both sides to every Both sides. <laughs> you got to listen to both sides, you know. There's two sides. Yeah. you got to take matters in your own hands sometimes. <laughs> got to cross the bipartisan marketplace of ideas. Now, of course, we'd encourage people to go watch multiple Clint Eastwood films, but if you had to choose one for the listeners to go off and watch, we'll each choose one different film. So... They've got to have three films to go out and watch of Clint Eastwood's, and we'll each recommend one. So, Jack, which Clint Eastwood film would you recommend? It could be any. Unforgiven. Unforgiven, fair enough, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah no. don't choose Unforgiven. Well, you haven't watched it. So <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it. And I haven't seen enough, Clint, really. Jersey I Boys. I guess I'm going to give a shout-out to Mystic River, because that was a film that I really enjoyed at the time, but I can't remember it vividly, so... I'm going to check it out again. Pussy and... generation, just not prepared to put the work in, you know? You're, yeah, you're just asking for handouts. Basically. I'm just sitting here cashing real politic paychecks, <laughs> yeah, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Pussy generation. Tom? I'll recommend Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, then I'll also recommend Gran Torino. <laughs> just because I was hoping someone would recommend Gran Torino. Well, yeah, I'll have it's, to. It's a good one. Yeah. You've got a bit of late Clint, bit of mid Clint, bit of early Clint can't go wrong okay yeah there you go folks right. thank you for suffering through Being this good. almost three hours God. probably gonna be a couple episodes yeah <laughs> oh lord i kind of want to do an awesome wells retrospective at one point so we'll, oh yeah that would be good we'll do hey, that know... oh and for some reason i stopped recording for a second at like 33 minutes in okay and then started again so everything after that's gonna have to be moved slightly yeah, I, that that should be fairly easy to do, I think. Fucking yeah, it happened. pussy generation. It was, yeah. Pussy generation. I realised after I clicked it, I was like, oh, fuck, no, I should have just muted or something. Yeah. But... Oh, yeah, a couple of things about Clint's weird politics. Like, for example, his opinions on Obama are, like, so blitheringly incoherent. Like, they're just sort of, ah, oh, he just sits on his ass, pussy generation, doesn't do any work, doesn't get down and make a deal. It's like... What is he talking about? Like, but yeah. the, there's you things you can criticize Obama over, but he just doesn't touch on any of them. It's just them, just the most no, mundane. Yeah, I'm just like you could literally just say this about anyone you don't like. It has no relation to anything Barack Obama has or hasn't done. Like, I could say, oh, Mitt Romney, well, like he's lazy, he doesn't go to work, and Clint would be like, I'm voting for Mitt well, Romney. Well, you know, I guess you could say that Clint's got a chip on his shoulder. He's, he's got no evidence against it, but I did find that he said, oh, I love that he's multiracial. My 
girlfriend's multiracial. <laughs> so that's really not a, that's apparently not the thing that he disliked about Obama. Um, <laughs> but just in terms of other Clint politics things, Tom, you watched his video with Ellen, didn't you? Now you have called yourself uh, a libertarian. Is that right? Is uh, that correct? Yeah, well, libertarian values, that's where Republicans used to be when they were saving money and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, uh, what is that? Explain libertarian to, to people. Libertarian means you're uh, sort of socially uh, liberal, leave everybody alone, and, uh, and, uh, but you believe in fiscal responsibility and you believe in government staying out of your uh, life. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so, too. And uh, I, I thought so, too. I still believe in that. And the, and when I was uh, uh, 21 years old and started voting, uh, I sort of became a Republican because that's the way they were thinking. Uh, but then in later years, they seem to have, in the last uh, few, um, last few years, the, the, both sides have just spent like drunken sailors. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not to insult the, yeah. the Navy in any way. Yeah. Just don't, the drunken ones. The sailors don't yes. drink. Not all sailors Unless drink. a squirrel goes up their yeah. inner pant leg yeah. or something. <laughs> she asked him about gay marriage, and he's like, yo, I'm a libertarian. I don't really yeah. care. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, I don't really care what anyone does. And she's like, that's what I've always said. And it's like, that's not what you've always said, Ellen. Like, you're, you, like I'm sure she's just like a liberal melt, but she is like an actual campaigner for LGBT rights, whereas Clint's just like, I don't care. But I think because, um, you know, I, I like uh, you, you have, you, your stance on gay marriage is you, you don't have any problem with that, which I it's greatly... It's part of the libertarian idea is leave everybody alone. Leave everybody... Yeah, it's, that's what I say. Yeah. People do what they want to do. Yeah. I mean, uh, the condition of uh, society uh, right now with the uh, high unemployment rates and the uh, tremendous debt we're increasing and the, and the government spending, uh, we'd think there'd be a lot to think about uh, mm-hmm. worthy of, uh, well, except worrying about what gay marriage is about. Right. I mean, leave everybody... Uh... More important things to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's a, there's a <laughs> huge also difference. The, the shortfalls of libertarianism when it comes to LGBT rights, because it's the idea of, I don't care, none of my business. But then, of course, if you had a pretty libertarian government and people were targeting the LGBT community, you'd think to yourself, well, are they actually going to step in and do anything here? Or are they just going to fall by the old libertarian yeah. trope of, hey, it's none of my business, you know? <laughs> you, say, you say a libertarian government. Well, well... <laughs> <laughs> That's not gonna happen. <laughs> Just hear Clint's like Clint's Ooh. brain explodes trying to process the concept of a libertarian <laughs> government. <laughs> Just that face he pulls in Gran Torino when he's just about to throw his kids out of the house and yeah. stuff. That's him but, when his brain's about to explode. Yeah, but yeah, there's just something about that Ellen thing where I was just like, God, I hate chat shows and I hate liberals. <laughs> I just, yeah. I was, all that fake nicety. Yeah, exactly. Just like that's mm. what I've always said. It's like, yeah. no, isn't Ellen literally like a lesbian herself? Like, I'm pretty, yes. I'm pretty sure yes. she's got a pretty different perspective on it. To Clint I think Eastwood. she cares a bit. You know, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and Clint is just—it's not the same yeah. thing. It's uh, why would you say? Why would you? Pre- ah, I don't even. Surely Clint can see like, through that. He's like, ah, oh, no, she's yeah. one of these limousine liberals. That's it's, not it's, what she's always said. It's nowhere near as bad as when Clint was on Jimmy Fallon, the one that bangs the table every time he finds something 
well, the, the, the wanker guy. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah the guy bangs yeah. the table and fakes laugh. It's like he gets out his iPhone and goes, "Hey, Clint, can we take a selfie?" And he's like, "No." <laughs> Brilliant. Pussy I was like, generation. "Yes, Clint, tell that what? fucking member of the pussy generation to take his fucking." <laughs> Apparently, there is a and shove it over his fucking ass. Apparently, there is a scene in the Mule where Clint walks up to a computer, growls at it, and just goes. <laughs> internet and walks off <laughs> and on that note yeah good night. Uh, yeah i'm gonna do the yeah. same internet <laughs> good night <laughs> good night right. good night to all the pussies listening to this podcast why don't you including grow us the fuck up yeah 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 you, yeah you two guys especially i'm a proud member yes. of the pussy generation though i would like oh we didn't mention the pat in the interview <laughs> Where they talk about the pussy generation and then they go, actually, we need to elaborate. We are pro pussy, but we're yeah, anti yeah. the pussy generation. <laughs> Not to be confused with pussy. And then you have this thing where Clint and his son both start being like drooly, dirty old man. Like, oh, <laughs> pussy. <laughs> and it's horrible, but it's just like, ah, oh, great to see some real family bonding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some real healthy male relationships. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and on that note. Yeah, speaking of healthy male relationships, good doing the podcast with you as always, guys. <laughs> pleasure, pleasure. Yes, quite. I'll talk to you guys next time. Awesome. Farewell. Go ahead. Make my day. I got a rendezvous with my ass. Get off my lawn. Talk to the trees, but they don't listen to me. I talk to the stars, but they never hear me. The breeze hasn't time to stop and hear what I say. I talk to them all in vain But suddenly my words reach someone else's ear Touch someone else's heartstrings too I tell you my dreams And while you're listening to me I suddenly see them come true I can see us on an April night Looking out across a rolling farm Having supper in the candlelight Walking later, arm and arm Then I'll tell you how I passed the day Thinking mainly how the night would be Then I'll try to find the words to say All the things you mean to me I tell you my dreams And while you're listening to me, I 
suddenly see them come true. It's tech, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing.